Well, today we're in the fourth week of our series on emotionally healthy spirituality, but we're also, as you've just seen, in the season of Lent. And although Lent is not in the Bible, it's been part of the church, uh, church's history for hundreds and hundreds of years. It is a great time to remember and prepare for Easter. It's a time when we remember what Jesus went through in his 40 days in the wilderness in preparation for his public ministry, but we also are reminded, or it's reminiscent of the 40 years of testing the Israelites went through before entering the promised land. And so I encourage you during the time of Lent to use it as a sort of a, a spring house cleaning of the soul, so to speak. Remember when Jesus is out before he begins his public ministry, he went through this testing in preparation where he was tested by the devil. And this event lays the groundwork for his public ministry. It defines his understanding of who he is and who God is. And when we read the story of the temptation of Jesus, you ask yourself the question, why was Jesus tempted with those things? And then you ask ourselves, what are we tempted by today? And the things that I've learned over the years is that there are certain things that are temptations for me that are not temptations for other people, and there are certain things that are tempting for other people that are not tempting for me. But no matter which it is, I ask myself the question, why? Why are these temptations for me? Not the what, but the why. And today we're going to be considering journeying through the wall, or the dark night of the soul. And it is a time of trial, it's a time of temptation, it's a time of testing. Jesus went through this time of testing before his public ministry. And I want us to look at an Old Testament character, the person is named Abraham. And he went through a time of testing as well. And I want us to look at this story, and as we look at this story from the book of Genesis. I want us to remember this promise of God. It's from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It is uh, something that Gary Boydson, the chair of our elders, he read to us the other night at our elder meeting. And it's this passage of scripture that says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. Today we're looking at the spiritual discipline of journeying through the wall. A Carmelite monk um, named St. John of the Cross, wrote a famous book, actually it's a poem, but it's called Dark Night of the Soul in the 16th century. And it talks about journeying through the wall. And in the book he discusses in great depth all the dynamics that happen when we go through the dark night of the soul. And he says that certain things happen during those nights and things get rooted out of us. And John of the Cross basically said that the way we grow as Christians is through the dark nights of the soul, when we journey through the wall. Because it's a place where we are changed. 
Our minds and our spirits are reworked in such a way and God prepares us to have a higher communion with him or a degree of love for him and with him. God prepares us for a higher communion with him and for him. And we actually grow up from adolescence into adulthood. And it's a place where God purges from our palate the things or changes our taste buds for the things of this world that used to taste so good. And now he infuses part of himself so that the things of God and God himself taste so much better. And now, after that happens, we read a scripture that we've read a hundred times or we sing a song that we've sung a hundred times and our hearts melt because something has been removed from our lives and our taste buds have changed and now God has infused into us part of himself. And so our text is from Genesis chapter 22. It's the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. This Abraham is the person that God called and he's sort of the father of the Israelites and Abraham was called by God when he was an old man and he said to him, made promises to him, he said, I will give you descendants, I will give you land and I will make your descendants so numerous that they will be more than the sand in the, uh, in the seashore. And he says to him, the entire world will be blessed through your descendant. Problem is, Abraham doesn't have any kids. Abraham has been married to Sarah. She is old, way past childbirth age, and God makes this promise to them. Finally, Sarah is able to get pregnant. She has a kid. It's Isaac. And now, basically, Abraham's 110 years old, and this is what happens. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So early in the morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. When I was younger, I remembered praying, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I worried about that prayer when I was younger because there were certain places I didn't want to go and certain things I didn't want to do. But now I'm confronted with a much different prayer that I find much harder to pray, at least it is for me. And it is this, Lord, bring me into a closer relationship with you no matter what the consequences. Lord, bring me into a closer relationship with you no matter what the consequences. Basically, this is the prayer we pray every time we say the Lord's Prayer. We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy 
will be done. Do we really mean that? The other prayer is about doing and going. This prayer is about being. And God is going to bring Abraham into a closer relationship with him. Now, of course, sometimes those prayers go hand in hand. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the profound lessons of the journey to emotionally healthy spirituality. And I know that it can be difficult at times. And this morning, we're going to di- discuss and look at one of the most difficult parts of the Christian journey, journeying through the wall. Or as St. John of the Cross said, the dark night of the soul. And there are different stages in our Christian journey. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, noted six stages of discipleship. And the first stage is a life-changing awareness of God. This is when we become Christians. The second stage is discipleship where we're learning. The third stage is the active life, where we are serving and or giving. And then comes the wall. And then the fourth stage is the journey inward. The fifth is the journey outward from a deeper inner life. And then the sixth stage is being transformed into love. So let's take a quick look at each of these stages. That first stage is when you become a Christian, a life-changing awareness of God. All of a sudden, you hear the good news of the gospel. You hear that God loves you. You hear that he sent his one and only son into the world to be the savior of the world and that he is your savior as well. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior through faith, you are changed, you are transformed. You are forgiven of your sins and you have the gift of eternal life. And when this happens, suddenly your life looks totally different. And then that leads right into stage two, where you begin to learn. You begin to read your Bible. You begin to participate in a small group, or you go to Sunday school. And you're absorbing, you're learning. Maybe you get baptized, and you're receiving. And then that leads to the next stage, which is stage three, where you start to serve. You start to serve because of all the things that you've learned. And that's where you're giving. Instead of just taking in, you're now giving. You're doing. You're consciously working for God and you're meeting goals. You're taking responsibility for your own spiritual well-being. And it's not like you're an infant anymore where you just receive. Now you're giving and you're doing. You're in touch with your unique gifts that God has given you, and you use those gifts to serve the church and the world around you. But then, at some point, you hit the wall in your journey. And what's interesting is that the wall is the most difficult transition of all, and it takes you on a journey inward. And stage four is that journey inward, where you learn more about yourself, you learn more about God. And that wall always comes before stage four. And in our tradition, as evangelicals, we sometimes don't do well at the wall. Because we don't do well with our emotions, we don't do well 
with our feelings. We don't take the time to look deep beneath the surface to be transformed. Oftentimes, we've only focused on our behavior and looking good on the outside, but not being transformed on the inside. And sometimes we get stuck at the wall, and we never make that journey inward. But as we search ourselves and go deep within, we then move on to stage five. But stage five often looks a lot like stage three, except now it flows from a deep inner life. It's got depth to it. It's got maturity. Because you have been through the wall. And you've done the journey inward, and by God's grace you move on, and then you go to stage six, which is being transformed by the love of God, and now God's love just flows naturally out of you. But today I want us to focus on going back to the wall and this journey through the wall because it strikes at the core of who we are. And throughout our lives, we don't just hit a wall once. We hit a wall over and over again. And these stages you go through over and over again, we repeat them as an ever-widening spiral as we continually experience the breadth and depth and width and love of God. And so you just don't hit one wall and get through it and that's it. As you move through life, there are multiple walls that you are going to hit. And sometimes you can be stuck at one wall for a long time. And it's a really tough and difficult place to be. It's a very unknown place. But if we are going to grow into the deep, deep people of God, deeply transformed by Him, you have to get through the wall. And this is the only way we can become the disciples that God wants us to be and do the things that God wants us to do out of the profound change that comes by going through the wall. So you might ask the question, how do you know if you're at the wall? Well, here are some indications because some of you may be at the wall today or some of you may be going through the dark night of the soul. For most of us, the wall appears when a crisis comes in our lives. It may be a divorce, it may be a failed marriage, it may be a betrayal, it may be a job loss, it may be a cancer diagnosis or a disillusioning church experience or depression so deep that it leaves you paralyzed. It can be a dream that has been shattered or an accident that leaves you hurt. It may be the inability to have children. It may be a dream that never gets realized. Or maybe it's just your relationship with God is now dry when it used to be so joyful. And there's a loss of joy in your life. And things aren't working like they used to work before. And you question God. It's a time when you have way more questions than answers. And you start questioning the church and everyone else who calls themselves a Christian. And the very foundation of our lives are shaken. And we don't know where God is. We have no idea what he's doing and when this is going to end. And unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck at the wall. And some of us retreat from the wall and just say, I'm not going to deal with it. 
But no matter where you are today, God has something for you at the wall. And Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 is at a wall. And what is so profound about this passage is that Abraham hasn't been, this isn't the only wall he's had in his life. He's had many walls in his life. He's 110 years old when this story takes place, and he's had many walls. God makes him this promise that he's going to have children, and he doesn't have children until way, way late in his life. And so he's gone through that before. He had to leave his homeland to go to a new land. When he's in the new land, he has to escape and go down to Egypt, and there's all these problems down there. And so now all of a sudden, his one child that he has, whom he loves, God says, sacrifice him to me. And I don't know about you, but if I was Abraham, I'd be saying, Lord, enough is enough. I'm old. What are you doing? But God is drawing him into a closer relationship with him in a profound way. And God tests those that he loves. And if you read the story again, you get to verse 1. It says, and God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham. God is never going to lead you to a wall and he's not going to be there right with you and here's the great thing he knows your name he knows your name it doesn't matter if it's Abraham or Joe or Susie or Gideon Jesus is right with you at the wall and he calls you by name I've spent time at walls in my life and sometimes I've spent too much time at the wall. Sometimes I have fought with God. Rather than seeing how God's drawing me into a closer relationship with him, I just sort of fought with God. Um, one time was when my father passed away. My father was one of my best friends ever. And I was mad at God for a long time, and I fought with God about that. Other time I had getting diagnosed with cancer. I fought with God about that as well. Not that... And wasn't I real, wasn't really mad at God that I had cancer. I was mad for my kids. Um, I was like, Lord, ten years from now would be okay, but not now. So I fought with God there. You think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is arrested. He has a battle with God, and he prays this: "Lord, not my will, but Your be done." Not my will, but your be done. And when we're at the wall and things are going on in our lives, will we pray that? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And sometimes I've camped out at the wall too long, and maybe you have as well. And I hope that someday we can all pray that prayer. Lord, bring me into a closer relationship with you, no matter what the consequences. And part of what happens when we go through these crises in our lives is that we realize that what we thought what was best for us isn't best. And what we think is the worst really can be the best. And we start to see things differently. And we are changed where the things of this world don't taste so good and the things of God start to taste so much better. So let's look at the end of the story of Isaac and Abraham, verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for his burnt, the burnt offering 
and placed it on his son Isaac. And he said to him, and, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Ab- Father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place where God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, and it declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This story is a story of God drawing Abraham into a closer relationship with him, but it also points us to Jesus. Our Heavenly Father gave His one and only Son for us. And there's a truth in this story, though. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Isaac was never asked. And basically, God was saying to Abraham, for your salvation... I am going to give my one and only son as a sacrifice for all humanity. Are you willing to do the same? But with Jesus, it is a little different. Jesus was asked. And he had to battle his will versus the Father's will. And the great news is that Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for us. And because of his sacrifice for us, we now have salvation. The forgiveness of sins and the promise of life eternal with God. In 1 John chapter 2, it says this, Dear children, I write these things that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul wrote, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus submitted himself to God, and the greatest good came of that. 
And this is what we do when we celebrate Holy Communion. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We remember that God did not withhold his one and only son, but gave his one and only son to the world because he loves us. And he wants to draw us into a closer relationship with him. And when you are at the wall, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. This is food for your soul that sustains you through the dark night of the soul. And so in just a moment, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion together. And I want you to hear the words that remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus. You are invited to this sacred meal because this is the Lord's table. You do not have to be a member of Hope Covenant Church in order to partake of the bread and the cup because it's Jesus himself who invites you to this table. And as long as you have put your faith in Jesus and accepted the gift that God has for us in Jesus Christ, he invites you to come and take the bread and the cup. And so come to this sacred table not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. And so here are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come forward. There will be uh, two people, one with a cup of, I mean, a tray of bread and one with a tray of cups. But don't rush as you come. Take time and know that this is food for your soul when you're going through the dark night of the soul when you're at the wall. And so come and there'll be a moment there and take the bread and remember those words that Jesus said because he loves you. This is my body given for you. And this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so don't come just because someone else is coming. Come because you hear the call of God in your life and you need to be fed. The ushers will be on the side aisles, and I'm going to invite you to come up through the side aisle and then return through the center aisle. Come when you're ready. Everything is prepared.